we're calling the master's mission that he has passed on to us. And we saw first the authority of Jesus. What I want to say now is while salvation is absolutely a free gift from God, it was accomplished entirely by Jesus and it is to be received only by faith not by our obedience or our good works, while those things are absolutely true, unchanging, and there is no other way of salvation, if you are not seeking to obey Jesus in every area of your life, then you are both insubordinate and foolish. I know that sounds harsh, but that's basically what we looked at last week. Even as as a Christian, saved by grace, not by works. If we do not obey the commands of Jesus, we are insubordinate because Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And we looked at last week as well that we're actually foolish not to obey the commands of Jesus because Jesus is a good, glorious, trustworthy authority. None of his commands are to rob you, to take from you, to suppress you. All of his commands are both for his glory and your good each and every time. So it is insubordinate and foolish not to obey Jesus. That's what we looked at last week. Jesus established his authority, the nature of his authority. And so my hope is that your deep desire at this point is to obey Jesus in every area of your life. We talked about this again last week that I'm not just talking about the things Jesus tells us not to do. It's also the things Jesus has told us to do that we need to concern ourselves with if we want to be obedient, if we want to find the joy of obedience to Jesus. And so this leaves us this week with the question, What is it that Jesus actually commands us to do? I think most of us are pretty familiar with what we're not supposed to do, right? But what is it that we are supposed to start actively doing with our lives? I mean, we think about just in generalities, Christians are to live for the glory of God, for the praise of his name, but how? How are we to live for the glory of God? How are we to live in such a way that other people praise his name? Another, you know, uh, common thing we know is that Christians are to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. We say, okay, so I'm supposed to love God. And from an overflow of that love for God, I'm supposed to love others the way that I would want to be loved. I want to love them in the the most loving possible way. But what does that look like? And so we'd say, okay, I need to glorify God. So does that mean I I go to church and sing worship songs? I'm supposed to to love my neighbor. Does that mean that I'm just kind to them when I, you know, see, see someone on the street? And so I just want to pose that question to you. Is that what God sent his son to die on the cross for? to bear our sins on the cross for, to rise from the grave in victorious life, is that what he saved us for? Is so that we could attend church, sing songs, and be nice 
to our neighbors? Is it so that we would, you know, do less bad things? Now, I'm not calling any of those things wrong. Attending church, being nice to your neighbors, stopping sin, those are great things. But is that all? Is that all Jesus died for? Is that all Jesus redeemed us for? Is that what he has left us on this earth to do rather than immediately transferring us to heaven so we could just be good little Christians, nice neighbors? I believe in the word supports it that there is a far greater, weightier, and more glorious purpose than that. As important as those things may be, there is something infinitely weightier that we are to be about. And thankfully, Jesus, our authority, our good shepherd, does not lead us uh, to, to wander aimlessly, wasting away our lives, just being good, little, moral, kind Christians. Again, I'm not talking bad about those things. I'm just saying that's, that can't be it. And so this is what we see from Jesus in Matthew 28. Oops. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. These are the verses we are mostly studying today. Jesus has just given a statement of his absolute authority. And then he says these words, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those are the words of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus just before he ascended up to heaven, crowned, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what he told us to be about. This is the master's mandate. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for a moment, if we would. Father God, we believe, even though we struggle to believe, that you are worthy of worship, that you are worthy of praise, you are worthy of trust, you are worthy of obedience. You are worthy of all these things. And only in walking in obedience to you will we find the satisfaction our soul is longing for because you are that satisfier. Your glory is our joy. And so, God, we want to obey you. We want to walk in obedience to our King, Jesus. And so, God, would you help us today to understand what it is we are actively, intentionally supposed to be about with our lives. Though you call us to do many things, work, family, school, all, all these things, Lord, what, what is it that we are to center our work and family and school and other things around? What is it that gives those things meaning, Lord, and purpose? God, we ask that you would not only teach us, but empower us to obey. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is to be our highest active pursuit in this life if we want to live for the glory of God and to love our neighbors? And, and of course, by implication, if that's true, if that's to be our highest pursuit, if this is the master's mandate, then what is it that we should 
orient our lives around. I'm busy. <laughs> Those are common words out of my mouth. I'm busy. Those, that's a common thought in my head. But if there is a mandate from my master Jesus, I will orient my life. I will orient my schedule and my activities around what he has called me to do. And that's what this is. This is the master's mandate right here. Great commission. And so what is it that we are to do to glorify God and live uh, for, in love to neighbor? Number one, make disciples of Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. Jesus said it there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I, I don't want to go into this too deep. But in the Great Commission, there is only one verb. The only verb, and it's an imperative, it's a command, is make disciples. That is the only verb in the entire Great Commission. Go is not a verb. Baptizing them is not a verb. And teaching them is not a verb. The only verb in the Great Commission is make disciples. And so this is the center. This is what we are to be about. This is what we are to be doing. And it's clear from Jesus' words here that this is what our lives should be oriented around. I want you to think about this. We are to live for the glory of God, that his name may be praised, that people may see his beauty and fall down in worship. The greatest possible way you can glorify God to show people how worthy of, his, of worship he is, is to share with them the glory of a God who would send his son to die on a cross and bear the sin for the sinners who rebelled against him. Then, then you tell them, this is the God who, he, after bearing sin and after dying, he rose from the grave victorious over Satan's sin and death. And he invites us not to earn our salvation, not, not to beg and plead uh, and try to, you know, merit his love, but to, by faith, believe in what Jesus has done and we receive this salvation and new life as a gift. Now, that's God receiving the glory. Now think about your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't just do good and be kind to others. We certainly should. And the Bible is covered with, with commands to, to be kind and to be loving and to build one another up. Things like that. But ultimately, if your neighbor has not trusted in Jesus, then, then nothing else really matters. You, you might, you know, bring their trash can back up if it's your literal neighbor, bring their trash can back up to their house. But what good will that do them in hell? What, what, what good will that do them apart from a relationship with God where they're finding their life, where they're finding their joy, where they're finding their satisfaction? I'm not saying don't take, bring their trash can up, but I'm just saying that ultimately will not serve their highest good. The greatest tragedy in the world is that God is not worshipped. And the greatest problem of humanity is that we don't worship him. And that 
can only change, that can only, uh, you know, our sins be forgiven, be, be brought into a relationship with God, this eternal relationship forever and ever. We can only have that through Jesus Christ. And so I, I think about uh, Romans 10, 13 and 14. Paul said, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news. <laughs> that, is the, that is good news because it, it solves the greatest tragedy that God's not worshipped. It takes rebels and turns them into redeemed worshipers of God. And it solves our greatest problem, taking us out from under the wrath of God and putting us in his loving presence, in a loving relationship with him. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul goes on to say, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You have to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. Then he goes on to say, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone telling them what Jesus has done? Paul's logic is very clear. If we are not telling them, they will not hear. If they do not hear, they will not believe. If they do not believe, they will not call. If they do not call, they will not be saved. They will not glorify the God who is so worthy of their worship, and they will receive only condemnation from God rather than eternal joy with God. This is how we glorify God. This is the, the highest, uh, I guess you could say, the apex of how we can glorify God is to share the gospel. And this is the apex of how we can love our neighbor as ourselves is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has done for them, how they can receive the salvation he has accomplished. And this is the master's mission. I, I've kind of got on this sign up here. Jesus came in the cradle, right? The manger took on human flesh, associated with us, representing us. Then he went to the cross and bore our sins in our place. After he rose from the grave, he was crowned on high as king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And then Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. And you will be my, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the master's mission. This is what we are to be about. Jesus has accomplished salvation. But in order for that salvation to be applied in the hearts and lives of people, he speaks through us. God has indwelled us with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And God empowers us to speak these words of truth and make disciples, make followers of Jesus. This is a profound reality. There, there's scarcely anything weightier in all the world than, than, than what Jesus is commanding us to do here, to be agents of eternal life for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. This is absolutely unbelievable. Now, I, I want to tell you uh, Pastor Dave, as we uh, conversed about this sermon, he said, you know, I know we need to really train our people too. We need to make sure we're equipping them to share the gospel. And, and, and I totally agree, 100%. And the Bible is full of people training and equipping, and we're commanded to equip uh, the saints for the work of ministry. 
And so that is something that is going to happen more and more as we move forward. We'll be training you how to share the gospel of Jesus in a clear, kind, respectful, uh, but powerful way, that, that it would be our desire. But I want to remind you of something. One of the stories that gives me greatest hope in the Bible is the Samaritan woman. <laughs> you remember her? Uh, Jesus comes to her as she's at the well, and it's, it, they talk about the water. Give me water. If you, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water. Anyways, Jesus makes it plain that, that he is the Messiah, and she, she needs to, you know, uh, trust in him. Her sins are forgiven. She immediately goes back to town to a, a bunch of, of Samaritans and shares with them. And look at what John 4.39 says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Lady has been saved for 10 minutes. <laughs> she has been to zero evangelism seminars. She's heard zero true Christian sermons. She, she hasn't been discipled by an older believer that's been sharing the gospel more. She just goes back to town and says, look at what Jesus did for me. Come and meet him. Friends, that's, that's, that's all we got to do. To some degree, if you are saved, you know the gospel. If you have the gift of salvation, you can give the gift of salvation. You can share that gift of salvation with others. I, I, I want you to dig in. I want you to be equipped. I want you to plan and prepare for how to share the gospel effectively. But ultimately, you can get out there today. You can share the gospel today. You can make disciples today. Maybe a family member, a friend, a coworker, whatever. You can do it today. You can do it Monday. This is something God can do in you because he resides in you. This is a wonderful reality. Make disciples. This is what we center our lives around. But what happens when someone comes to faith? right? They, they hear the gospel, they trust in Jesus. Does that mean the work is done? Does that mean that we've crossed the finish line with what we are to do for that person? Well, according to Jesus, we are not yet done. According to Jesus, that person becoming a Christian is actually the starting block, not the finish line. Look at what uh, Jesus says next, <clears throat> Matthew 28, uh, 19 to 20 there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's kind of step one, if you will. But connected to it is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When a person becomes a disciple, a follower of Jesus, the work is not done. The, the work is, is just beginning with this person in their new life. And we can see this clearly uh, from, from the text. I didn't give you the point yet. Disciple making includes discipleship, if you can't read it on the screen. <laughs> Disciple making, that we go therefore and make disciples, includes continued discipleship. And we see this again in the text, uh, at least in two ways. First, Jesus told us to make disciples, not converts. You ever thought about that? 
there is a Greek word for convert. It's proselytos. Like Jesus could have said, go out and make proselytes, proselytes, uh, converts. But that's not the word that Jesus used. What, what did he use? He, he said, go therefore and make disciples. By definition, a disciple is a student, a follower, a pupil. And so if they become a disciple, that means they're going to follow. They, they, they have a pattern. They're just beginning a new life. See, a convert has accepted a set of facts about Jesus, but a disciple has accepted the call to follow Jesus. A convert has be, become the adherent uh, of a religion, but a disciple has started a new relationship and a new life. A convert only needs to learn the tenets of salvation, but a disciple needs to whole, learn a whole new way of thinking and living. And so when a person trusts in Christ Jesus, when we share the gospel, they trust in Jesus, our work is not done. They are just beginning their following of Jesus, and we are there to help them. And that's what Jesus gives us next there. Jesus told us how to disciple them. Jesus told us, here's what you need to do after they become a follower of me to help them follow me. He says they're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so baptizing, uh, there, I would say this is essentially to publicly as well as personally integrate them into the church. They're they being baptized uh, not only into Christ with a, a public declaration, declaration, but also into the visible church. That's what they're saying is I'm a part of the church, the body of Christ. I'm not talking about just a local congregation. I'm talking about the church. And so, uh, and I would say from, from the person who's baptizing them, they're saying, I believe this person is a follower of Christ. They have been united to Christ. I, I believe that. And they have been united to the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as a person who is united to Christ that is not also united to the body of Christ. That's, that's baptizing them. You are bringing them into the, the life of the church, the fellowship, the discipleship. And what is the church supposed to do at this point? Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is the job of the church, of fellow Christians to teach new disciples. But this isn't a process that only takes a couple of days, weeks, or even years to complete. Notice that Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And what that means is there will always be more to learn about trusting Jesus and not in our own righteousness. There will always be more to learn about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. There will always be more to learn in these things. There will always be more idols to kill, sin to remove, and good works to put on for the glory of God. 
And so this side of heaven, the work of discipleship is never done. Jesus is so great and glorious. His commands are so perfect and wonderful. And we, saved as we may be, are still flawed and frail and fickle. Therefore, discipleship must continue. Practically, what that means is this really matters what we're doing right now. Church really does matter, but it's not just so that we can feel good or even just so we can become good. It's, it's to truly learn to follow Jesus, our master. If you've become a disciple of Jesus, you need to learn to observe, to obey all that he has commanded. And this means that what we do, you know, before the service is important. Sunday school is important because we are learning to observe all that Jesus commanded. Small groups, these, these, anytime we get Christians together who are speaking to one another about the truths, about the commands, about the joy of knowing Jesus, discipleship is occurring and it is important and it is a part of the master's mandate. Make disciples of Jesus and then disciple-making includes discipleship. We continue. Now, I, I, I should mention, um, if we're following Jesus' example, we could do that in the way that he made disciples and then discipled them. Most specifically, Jesus did this with the 12, and then the Bible speaks of the 70, that Jesus poured into the lives of those who became followers of him. This was the example of Paul. Paul, by the way, you know, he was one of the greatest frontier missionaries the world has ever seen. I, I want to go where the name of Christ is not yet known. That's, that's what he wants to do, to preach where, where no one else has preached. He wants to share Jesus where he has not been shared before. But you know what else Paul was serious about? Discipleship. He stayed in places for years working with these new, very messy believers making sure they knew the truth about Christ and the truth about faith and righteousness and obedience to him. And this is also the model of the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people become disciples of Jesus. Then in Acts 2, it, it says just uh, the very next verse, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teacher, teaching and the fellowship. This is the, 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 the pattern of the entire Bible. Jesus, Paul, the early church, we make disciples, and then we disciple disciples. We want them to grow. We want them to learn. We want maturity into the image of Christ. But there is one aspect of the master's mandate that often gets overlooked. And I think it's, it's so important. Here's what it is. Number three, discipleship includes disciple making. Discipleship includes disciple making. My point here is this, the work of discipleship, of, of pouring into another believer has not been fulfilled until that disciple is seeking to make disciples. Does that make sense? Because Jesus didn't just call us to become Christians. He called us to become disciples, followers that, that do like Christ who make more disciples. And you can see this. I put just kind of the logic here uh, on the uh, screen. Jesus said that we are to be teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And in the context, what's the most 
uh, apparent command here. Well, go therefore and make disciples. Therefore, if we are teaching fellow Christians to observe all that Jesus has commanded, don't you think it's important that we teach them to obey the great commission to go therefore and make disciples themselves? I would say um, I, I was incredibly blessed when, when God grabbed a hold of my heart. He connected me to a, a pastor who, who loved me for some reason and, and wanted to spend time with me. And one of the things that we just did, it didn't even seem odd to me, is one of the things we did is we would go out and we'd share Jesus. We'd go to the gym and we would just intentionally get in conversations about Jesus. We'd go to the store and just get, get in conversation. I just, to me, I was just like, yeah, this is what you do. You're a disciple of Jesus. You, 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 uh, you go out and share the gospel. And it just made so much sense to me because this guy who was discipling me just modeled it. We didn't talk about it. We just did it. That is what discipleship is supposed to look like. We get in relationships, we teach, but we don't just teach facts. We, 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 we work on actual obedience, putting those uh, facts into action, and we share Jesus. I mean, you, you may not be able to go to work with someone you're discipling and like, you know, show them how to share Jesus, but maybe you can, I don't know. We need to help others. At the very least, we need to be encouraging one another to make disciples. In our small groups, uh, we, we have a time for uh, evangelistic encouragement, like that we encourage one another to share Jesus. And, and that's what it's about. Because discipleship hasn't reached uh, what it's supposed to look like until disciples are also making new disciples. Uh, that's actually uh, what Eric Holland says. Eric Holland's, you know, one of our missionary partners. He says this all the time. I'm not interested in just making disciples. I want to make disciples who make disciples. Now, it's like kind of a catchy saying, but his point is I, I don't want to just reach that one person I'm talking to. I want to reach them and teach them to reach the people they know. That's what it's about. And, and this isn't just catchy. This isn't just a neat growth model. This is what Jesus did, right? Jesus made disciples. And then, then what did he say to the fishermen when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was making them disciples who would make disciples. Paul did this as well. You know, uh, he, he, he made disciples. He was discipling. Then he tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't an evangelist. Timothy was more a pastor, elder, helping uh, these churches uh, that Paul would leave them behind. And, but Paul is encouraging him, Tim Timothy, make sure you're doing the work of an evangelist. Make sure you're still focused on the master's mission, not just discipleship, but actual disciple making as well. And so there is a, a beautiful harmony, symmetry, and, and progression to Jesus' plan here. He has made us his disciples, and now we are to make disciples of Jesus. But we don't just stop there because, uh, you know, honestly, when we first trust in Jesus, we don't make a very good witness. <laughs> um, you know, we got a lot of cleaning up to do. And anyways, we, we disciple them, and then we teach them to make disciples. And, and it, it multiplies. The growth becomes exponential. And, and people don't just have a shallow faith. They go deep with Jesus in faith, in joy, because discipleship is occurring. 
and fellowship is happening, and fellowship is natural. When, when we say, you know, I want you to know Jesus as well as you possibly can, it bonds us together. You know what really bonds us together? Saying, hey, let's go find some people and share Jesus together. Let's depend on God to work through us together. That bonds believers together. <laughs> and Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, it just, it all works together. We grow and mature, we grow in love, and we make disciples who make disciples. And what is the result of this? Remember where we started. God receives more of the worship and the praise and the honor and the affection that he deserves. And our neighbors, rather than an eternity separated from God, rather than an eternity under God's wrath, get to enjoy God both now and forever. The highest possible love we could show them. And then we can tie in last week. All of this, difficult as it may be, I'm not telling you this isn't challenging or uncomfortable, difficult as it may be, Jesus tells us so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. <laughs> That's a beautiful harmony. We live for the glory of God, the good of others, and our own good by following the master's mandate. Make disciples of Jesus. Disciple making includes discipleship. And discipleship includes disciple making. I want to give you, uh, before we go, just a few practical applications you can take home with you. First, accept that full obedience demands intentionality. I, I, I'm just convinced that we all know about the Great Commission. We know about the Master's Mandate, but we ignore it. We, we hope that it will just magically happen through us without any effort or intentionality on our part. But that simply is not the case. To, to, to go make disciples of all nations, by, by the way, isn't about location, but about our intention. Are we about making disciples? And so this sort of intentionality requires prayer, humble prayer. I have to pray these prayers all the time. God, help me not to forget what you've saved me and left me on this earth to do. God, help me to be looking around at other people, recognizing their eternal souls that need salvation. God, would you give me opportunities and would you give me the boldness and the, and the, the love to speak to them? Intentionality requires prayer, but then it also it requires thought. I, I mean, think about who you come in contact that you could share Jesus with. Is it, is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it someone at the store you see all the time, the, the clerk? It takes thought and, and maybe even preparation and planning. Okay, I know that we always talk about this. How could I turn that conversation to a conversation about Jesus? I mean, I have done this with friends. We've sat in a car outside of a friend's apartment and said, how are we going to get the conversation that's probably going to be about sports or music? How are we going to take that to Jesus? We sit there and we plan, we talk, and we pray. It requires intentionality. Second helpful application, I think. Remember that your first mission field is your family. I know... Um, Maybe some stay-at-home moms can be frustrated. I can't be out there sharing. I don't have coworkers, you know. If you, if you have children, um, then, then you have a mission field already. 
They need to become disciples of Jesus. And then if they become disciples of Jesus, they're the ones you're supposed to disciple. And they're the ones you're to lead to make more disciples as they grow up in their faith. But this is not just true for stay-at-home moms, by the way. This is true for all of us. This is the command of Deuteronomy 6. This is the command of Jesus that we train up our children in the admonition of the Lord. God has put these little souls in our lives, not just so that we could have fun with them or help them to become successful, but so that they can follow Jesus, to glorify him and do good for their neighbor your first mission field is your family. And by the way, if you uh, have grandchildren, they, they apply as well. They may or may not have good Christian parents who are going to teach them, but they have you. Third, never stop teaching and being taught. I'm telling you, God is so glorious that we will never run out of good things to say about him to other people. And we will never run out of good things to hear about him. God's commands, are, again, are so perfect and we are so flawed. We'll, we'll never run out of improvement to help others make into, to make ourselves. And so never stop teaching others, discipling others, and never feel like you have arrived at such a point that you do not need to be taught. This is the master's mandate. We make disciples, we disciple them, and we train them to make more disciples. We do this for his glory. We do this for the good of our neighbors, for the nations. And we do this for our deep joy and satisfaction in worshiping and obeying him. Let's pray. Father God, who are we that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you would save us? And who are we that you would send us on the greatest mission this world has ever known? To spread the knowledge of a God who is so great and glorious that he sent his only son to die that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We get to spread that knowledge of your glory. We get to love our neighbors by sharing with them the way, the truth, and the life, the only way by which they will be reconciled with you, God. We get to share that. And so, God, we beg you today to make us more excited than we are terrified of what you've called us to do. Make us look for satisfaction in you that makes the suffering worth it. And God, help us to be more concerned with your glory being made known and the good of our neighbor than we are our own comfort and ease. God, we repent of the way we've been disobedient and foolish for not obeying this command intentionally with all of our heart. But we praise you that you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love, that we can come to you in repentance and ask you to change us, change our thoughts and change our actions and make us ambassadors of Christ Jesus. 
do this, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.